The following message was preached at Redeemer Community Church. For more information about Redeemer, visit us online at www.redeemernc.org. Today's scripture reading comes from Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22. So then, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building, being put together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, In him, you also are being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. For the last few months at our house, our bedtime story has been from the Wing Feather Saga. How many of you are reading the Wing Feather Saga or have read it with your kids? Our bedtime routine is, you know, after the toothbrushing and the and the pajamas are on. This is the children we're talking about. Uh, <laughs> just to be clear. Uh, we, we read uh, from a children's Bible, and we read a little story, and then we read from a kid's theology book, just a little bit. And then we pray together. We go around. Everybody who wants to pray gets a chance to pray. Usually everybody prays. Sometimes one person prays in a cat voice. Um, but we pray together, and then we read the bedtime story after everybody's in bed. And we've been reading the Wing Feather Saga, and I don't want to spoil it for anybody here, but there's a, a character in the story who, uh, for him, it's really important for him to remember who he is. Something has happened to him, so that if he doesn't remember, if he forgets who he is, which is sort of his default, uh, he becomes dangerous to the people around him. He becomes a threat, he becomes violent to his family, he loves, you know, the enemy, he's like the enemy, and he hates the good guys. But when he remembers who he is, his heart and his body, right, are all pointed in the right direction, and so the antidote for this problem that he has is for himself and his family to continually remind him, your name is, and I don't want to spoil it for you, but your name is this. And your father's name is, is that, and you're from this kingdom. And this is something he has to continually tell himself, or otherwise he becomes like the evil people in the book. 
In a similar way, our default as sons and daughters of King Jesus is to forget who we are. Why else would Paul's first command in the book of Ephesians, which is here in, in verse 11, his first command in the whole book is remember. And then he's going to tell us who we are. Remember who you are. He tells us this because we're forgetful people. How many mornings this week did you wake up and remind yourself, I am a child of King Jesus. His father is my father. My home is not the triangle, not North Carolina, not America, not anywhere else. My home is the new heavens and new earth. How many times did you face a hard conversation or difficult meeting this week with that reminder, I am a son or daughter of Jesus who is coming again? Maybe it was a fight in your marriage or with your children. Did you enter into that reminding yourself of your identity in Christ? And when we forget our identity, like the character in the Wingfeather saga, we also become a danger to ourselves and others. We start to revert to the ways of the world. We start to fight people in order to make a name or to be right or to have a little kingdom for ourselves or our tribe. Or we run from confronting wrongs because we forget our grace-given nobility. So instead of fight or flight, we need to remember who we are and then live into that reality. And that's what the Apostle Paul is doing in these verses. He's reminding us who we are. The structure of it is very much like last week. Last week we heard how we were this. We were children of wrath. We were alienated from God. We were apart from Him. But then God intervened and now by grace we've been saved. So that gospel has restored our, our vertical relationship with God. And in this paragraph, our horizontal relationships with each other are also restored. Our community is restored by the gospel. In these verses, the Apostle Paul commands us to first remember who we were outside of Christ and then remember who we are in Christ. And we'll see what a difference that makes for our lives, for our church, for our relationships. Paul starts by reminding us that outside of Christ, we were way more alone than we knew. We were way more isolated and alienated than we knew. The church in Ephesus, just a little background, the church in Ephesus was a Gentile church, predominantly non-Jewish Christians, very much like Redeemer. He says in verse 11, remember then at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. And that little bit about it being done in the flesh by human hands is a reminder to the maybe, maybe one or two Jews in the church in Ephesus and maybe the one or two Jewish background believers in the church here. It's a reminder that we don't get into the family of God by what, what we do, but by what Christ has done. What Paul goes on to say in verse 12, he goes on to remind us that we were way more alone than we knew. He says, at that time you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. Here's one way we were more alone than we knew. We were far outside of real community. Everybody here has had some experience with being the excluded outsider because everybody's experienced that. Maybe you're the last pick for the dodgeball team at, at recess or you couldn't break into the top whatever percent of your class or you got passed over for a promotion or maybe fired or laid off or you were an immigrant or a foreigner, you've experienced isolation and aloneness. It's so universal that it's got to be something like 50% of songs are written about feeling like an outsider and wanting to be on the inside, want to have a relationship. Or, 
On my way here, there was one. You got a fast car. I got a plan to get us out of here, right? We want to get out of where we are. I've been working at the convenience store, managed to save just a little bit of money, won't have to drive too far, just across the border and into the city. I want to get in there where it's safe, where it's better. I feel like an outsider. We can both get jobs, finally see what it means to be living. That is an echo of the reality in all these songs. Uh, There's an echo of the reality that outside of Christ, we were all outside of the real community that we need as human beings. Paul reminds us that we were excluded from the citizenship of Israel. It's another way we were alone. It's an unsettling thing not to be a citizen. It might be hard for most of us to remember that because we're citizens of America sitting here in America. But Gentile Christians in Ephesus would have understood this because in the Roman Empire, you didn't become a citizen by birth unless you were nobility or something. You had to buy your way in. You had to get your way in to have those rights. And so many people in Ephesus would have been there with very few rights, very little legal protection. When they suffered abuse by the government, they would have no recourse because they didn't have citizenship. It's much worse than that to be excluded from citizenship in Israel. Because without the citizenship in Israel, you don't have the perfect holy law of God to teach you good from bad or to teach you how to be forgiven of your sins. We were so far outside. Remember this. When you, before you were a Christian, can you remember this? You were so far outside of God's people that you didn't really know right from wrong. You didn't have God's word to show you. And so outside of Christ, we were outside of the covenant people of God. We didn't have the promises. There's another way we were alone. We didn't have the promises that the Jews had. We didn't have the promise of a Messiah who was going to come and make all things right. We Gentiles were foreigners to the hope-filled promises of God. For example, just, just think of this. Remember, before you were a Christian, you did not have God's promise through Ezekiel to bring you into your own land, to sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. When God promised, I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes, that promise was not for you. Or another one, Isaiah 25 verse 8, when, when... He has swallowed up death once and for all. The Lord God will wipe away the tears from every face and remove his people's disgrace from the whole earth. That promise was not for you if you were a Gentile before Christ. In fact, you didn't even know that promise was out there. So remember that and remember that this is how people are living outside of Christ right now. Do you know there's actually Centers for Disease Control data showing that hopelessness and despair has increased dramatically in our country in the last 10 years. Like more people are, I guess, picking up the phone from the CDC. Are you answering these calls? Maybe that's the problem. They're, they're answering these calls and they're saying, I'm hopeless. Way more than they were 10 years ago. Outside of Christ, we were on the outside. The outside, farther from real community and safety and peace than we wanted to admit. More than that, more than that though, and without Jesus, without Jesus, we were alienated from the only intimacy that we really need. Not only were we outside of community, we were alienated from intimacy. Verse 12 says, we were without hope and without 
God in the world. A calculator was made for math. A diary was made for secrets. A fish was made for water. And you were made for God. But Gentile Christian, before you came to Christ, you were alienated, isolated, and without God in the world. Child of wrath, as we saw last week. And so then you desperately looked for intimacy and acceptance everywhere else. Maybe in a father figure, or in romantic relationships, or in a mentor, or success, or even in other gods. And yet, no matter how much you felt they did for you, you were still without the deepest intimacy that we all need. Because you were still without a personal relationship with the real God who is there. No other relationship can satisfy this deepest longing of the human soul. Do you remember that? Do you remember how that was? What that was like? Try to remember the hopelessness of being without God. Remember what it was like not to be sure whether there even is a real God. Remember what it was like to have many gods you had to try to please, whether their names were Shiva and Vishnu or money and achievement. What was it like not to know if there was, uh, if there was a God and if there was, whether he was really good? What was it like to have to try to make your own way in the world without God, trying just to get by with the people around you, not really sure where you stood ever? Do you remember how far outside and alone you were apart from Christ? Not only that, then remember that outside of Christ, we were also all divided from other people and always dividing. In verse 14, Paul talks about the dividing wall of hostility that existed between Jews and Gentiles. Now, that's a metaphor, and the Ephesians may not have known about what I'm about to tell you, but there was, a, there was a literal wall in the Jerusalem temple that was a dividing wall of hostility. If you think of the Jewish temple as a series of concentric circles, they were rectangles, whatever, in the middle was the Holy of Holies, right? And there's a lot of rules about who can go in there. Only the high priest, only once a year, and there's a lot of things that have to be done to get in there. That's where God dwells, the Holy of Holies. Then there's the holy place, which is inside the temple still, and there's, there's rules about who can go in there. And then there's the, the court, the first court outside is where Jewish men can go. And there's less rules about how to get in there, but only Jewish men, and there's still a lot of prescriptions about who can go in there and why. Outside of that is the court of the women. Jewish women could go. Outside of that is the court of the Gentiles. And there's a wall between the court of the Gentiles and all the rest, which is only for Jewish people. And this wall is four and a half feet high. And on that wall was a sign that said, no foreigner may enter within this wall. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. We've been asked to make a lot of signs for this new building. We haven't been asked to make that sign. I'm very glad. That's how bad it was. Apart from Jesus, you were divided from other people, Gentiles from Jews. In fact, Jewish groups divided against other Jewish groups. Gentile groups divided against other Gentile groups. And this is just human history, right? Groups are divided and always dividing. How many wars are being fought right now in the world over people who are divided about who gets to say where the dividing line between the divided people will be? We are killing ourselves for these divisions, to maintain them, to have power over them, to be the ones who get to say. So Christian brother or sister, remember that life outside of Christ is a life of alienation from others. It's a life of cannibalism almost. Not literal, sometimes. It's a life of alienation from God, 
and a life without peace, remember the hopelessness of it. Remember it for the sake of your own gratitude and worship. Remember it for the sake of alertness to the goodness of God. Remember how far outside you were for the sake of your neighbor who does not yet know Christ because that's where they're living. Remind yourself by reading the Bible. Remind yourself by being in fellowship with other Christians. Remind yourself by thanking God daily. Apart from Christ, you are way more alone than you knew or wanted to admit. You are outside of real community, outside of intimacy with God, divided from people and constantly dividing. Remember who you were. But along with that, remember who you are. We were desperately alone, but now in Christ, we are way more united than we imagine. What is the most united group of people you can think of? Is it Kansas City Super Bowl fans after they win the Super Bowl? Probably not. I mean, they didn't know each other's names and all the parties are over. It's kind of done now. Is it a husband and wife? Is that the most united group of humans you can imagine? A husband and wife. Well, if they've been married more than a year or two, unity becomes something to work at. So maybe not that. What if I told you the most united group of people on the planet is believers in Jesus Christ? You might, you might laugh or you might cry. You might look around and say, it doesn't really look like that. I would say, you're right, there's not the visible unity there should be, and yet, the most united group of people on the planet is Jesus' church. This is true despite all the human disunity, because the unity of Jesus' church does not depend on Jesus' church, but on Jesus. There is a deeper spiritual unity to the church that is untouchable by human sin, because Jesus' atoning blood has made the unity Real. He has purchased it for his people. And isn't that good news? If you think of, um, if you think of how, to, how to get something moving, okay, and first you think of uh, one of those little cars that kids have, little toddler cars. They're red on the bottom. They're yellow on the top. They got the little squeaky horn, and there's no floorboard. And you, you sit in them, well, a child sits in them, and you walk with your little feet to try to get this thing going. It's like a Flintstones car, if you're old enough. It's... <laughs> It was only 10. Anyway, so you got this, and then you have planet Earth. There is nothing you can do, do to slow down the rotation of planet Earth. I mean, I know technically a little tiny, 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 whatever. You can't get it to stop moving around the sun. There's nothing you can do to stop it. If Jesus' church's unity depends on us, we're not going to get much farther than a toddler in a little tiny car going in circles on the driveway. Thankfully, Jesus' church's unity depends on Jesus, who is unstoppable. He made the earth with a word. Look at what Jesus has done. Verse 13, now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, have been brought near. You don't have to bring yourself near. You have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Christ's atoning sacrifice paid the debt for our sin. His blood cleansed us when we were unclean Gentiles so that we could come near into the intimate presence of God. Even the Holy of Holies, the veil was torn. But there's more, verse 14. For he is our peace who made both groups, Jew and Gentile, one, and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. 
In his flesh, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two resulting in peace. So you see the the spiritual arithmetic of the reconciling power of the cross of Christ is that one group plus one group equals one new group, one new people. And notice that it is not just that Jesus Christ provides our peace like a server provides the fries at the table. Jesus is our peace. At every time then that we take of this meal of communion, which we're going to do in a few minutes, we are tasting the meal of the reconciling peace who is the crucified and risen Savior. Remember that every time we eat the bread and drink the cup, you are tasting the peace that we have with all other Christians, on every continent, throughout all time, we're tasting the unity we have with them because the unity is Jesus. For those who are in Christ, all of the old divisions that caused people to divide and keep dividing have been crucified at the cross of Christ. The church is like a fine Persian rug. Anybody here know about Persian rugs? I didn't either, but I was reading a book and mentioned it. Did you know how you tell the, uh, the density? I know you're all impressed. I read a book. Do you know how you tell the density or the, uh, I gave it away, the quality of a Persian rug? Yes, the density. Very good. Knots, <laughs> knots per square inch is a thing you measure to tell the quality of a Persian rug. Knots per square inch. A really good Persian rug has, I'm told, 400 knots per square inch. There's about 400 chairs in here. You can be thankful that we didn't put them all in one square inch to demonstrate our unity today. But in Christ, we're even more united than that. And remember that we're united together to each other because in Christ, we're united to God together. When a college basketball team comes together from you know, every part of the country and different economic backgrounds, they come together, they put the same jersey on, and now they're united together. All of a sudden, these different people are the NC State Wolfpack of the world's greatest college basketball team. (laughs) Similarly, our togetherness is because Christ has reconciled us to God, both Jew and Gentile, every tribe, tongue, and nation. We're reconciled not directly to each other, but through Christ and in Christ, we're reconciled to each other because we've been united to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. See this in verse 16 through 18. He, Christ, did this so that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He, proclaimed, or he came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away, that's the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, that's the Jews. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Imagine a family with a, with a strong grandfather figure and he's getting older and he's very wealthy and he's about to die. And so the family has begun to be concerned about where the inheritance is going. And this grandfather had two sons and the two sons have been at war with each other for years. In fact, they haven't talked in decades. The two sons have kids and each grandchild is trying to win favor with grandpa so that they can get the inheritance. Each grandchild has to go through their access point to get to the father. 
They're going through their dad saying, Dad, will you send this gift? Will you write this letter? Will you coordinate a visit? Each of the, the dads are trying to awkwardly coordinate a visit so they don't see each other at the same time at Grandpa's house because they're in this war. Well, what is going to happen in this family when the grandfather dies? If you were the grandfather, who would you give the money to? Maybe, maybe none of them. Maybe you would be so disappointed with the division. And if you did give money to them, you give it to one side, the other side's unhappy. You give it to both, everybody's unhappy. But that is not how our unity and our access to the triune God is because of Christ. We, Jew and Gentile, we don't have Abraham as our father and then Paul as our father over here or Apollos as our father or Peter as our father. We all have the same access in one spirit, through one Christ, to one Father. Well, what does this do for family unity? Not as much as you'd think, not as much as it should, and yet Christ is using it. And you and I can't do much to control the broader unity of the global church, but what we can do is this, we can love each other in our differences. We can be a little place where it's going right, I thought Pastor Don wrote a great community group question. They're always great. This one was especially great last week about what would it look like if our church was made up of all kinds of background people? How would we really love each other if that's the case? For example, if we look around this room, we can remember that all of us, with all our differences, has the same access to the Father through Christ in the Spirit. That goes for Anglo church members and Indian church members, African-American church members, and Caribbean-American church members, poor church members, middle-class church members, rich church members, tattooed church members, stuffy-looking church members who wear whatever this is, married church members, single church members, and on and on. Each of us has the same access to God the Father through Christ in the Spirit that everyone else does. Paul's just saying, remember that. Remember that and be in awe at the amazing, unifying power of the cross of Christ. And then love each other. Paul summarizes his reminders then in verse 19 and 20 when he says, So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. There are three things here to remember. The first is that he came to us when we were far off. We were foreigners. But Jesus came, preached peace to us, and died for us. Now we're citizens with the saints. We were strangers. But Jesus came, preached peace to us, died for us, and now we're members of God's household. This is the teaching of all the apostles and prophets, all the scriptures, and Jesus is the one who holds it all together. Christ came to reconcile us to God and to each other, and now we are ministers of reconciliation in the world. So, Jack prayed about this earlier. Is there someone who's far off from Christ that you know, who's on the outside still, who's still waiting for Christ through maybe you to go and proclaim peace, the peace of God and peace with each other to that person? Is there someone you need to tell about this good news of Jesus? Remember, second, that he made peace when we were locked in hostility. If the Lord has made peace between Jew and Gentile through the cross, then by faith in him, we can be reconciled to each other. Are you locked in hostility or disagreement with someone else in the church? 
Or maybe somebody else in your own home, maybe your spouse, maybe your children. Later on in Ephesians 4, Paul writes, Therefore I, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you've received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We are united in Christ now. Make every effort to be united in the bond of peace. You might need to reach out to someone for marriage counseling or for parenting advice. You might need to get a trusted and wise third party involved in some conflict that you're having. But what you cannot do is nothing. You can't just let it fester. You can bear with somebody, love, forgive, move on, genuinely, or you can deal with it, have the conversation, because there's hope in Christ, because he's already made peace between us by reconciling us all to one God in one spirit. So there's hope for any conflict you might feel locked into. You can, in Christ, find healing in your marriage, your parenting, your relationships. I've seen it. He can do it. Will you pursue that? Will you get the help you need to pursue that? You are united. Make every effort to be united. Have faith. Pursue the things that make for peace. And then remember third, what God is doing. Look again at verse 21 and 22. In Christ, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you all also are being built together for God's dwelling by the Spirit. And our latest group of new members, we had a lieutenant general and a private first class join. If like me, you are ignorant of military rankings, I will save you the Google. Those are opposite ends of the spectrum, the org chart. Top, bottom. But in Christ's kingdom, they are just bricks in the glorious temple where God's going to live. Pink Floyd made it sound like a bad thing to be another brick in the wall. In this building, it is a good thing to be a brick, just a brick, where Jesus is going to live. You all know that I had the joy and sometimes the cardiovascular strain of helping this, this building come together a little bit, very little bit. I know way more now than I ever wanted to know about how this building is put together. And I still don't know everything. But God isn't building his church out of metal studs and insulation and drywall and glass. He's not even building his, build, uh, his church out of beautiful stones and ornate stained glass. God is building his forever home, his forever temple, out of Aaron's and Elizabeth's, Daniel's and Brittany's, Schreeder's and Grace's, the people next to you, and the people all over the world that have come to Christ. Now, the Lord has begun to bring more and more kinds of people to Redeemer. What a blessing for us to get to see that he's doing that and get to see it here that he's really made one new humanity in place of the divisions of the world. We've, we get to live into this beautiful reality. And so I want you to do something. I want you to at least consider doing it, but let me be frank. I want you to do something. For the next three weeks, I want you to ask three questions of one person each week. So it's three weeks, three questions, Three people. Okay, the one person should be somebody you have never talked to before. 
The three things you're going to say to them, hi, my name is, insert your name, how long have you been coming to Redeemer? Our church has been growing a lot. This is a lifesaver. I'm going to save you some shame. If you say, are you new here? And they say, no, I've been coming for six months. You will, you will feel like I have sometimes, a little ashamed. So the trick question is, how long have you been coming to Redeemer? Six months, that's great. Hi, my name is, how long have you been coming to Redeemer? Number three, I'm glad you're here. Look them in the eye and say that to them. You can say more than that if you want. Or you can really say, I'm glad you're here and walk away. That's <laughs> it won't be that awkwardly. You said something nice. It's fine. Will that simple practice heal all of the divides in our world or in Christ's church? No. But you don't need to heal all the divides in the world or in Christ's church. Jesus is dealing with that. This will help us along the way to be a one holy temple together, if you'll do that. Jesus, though, is in charge of the bigger picture. And Jesus, who is God the Son, indivisible from the Father and the Spirit. Jesus, who left heaven in order to die outside, outside of Jerusalem, and be crucified outside the city walls with people who were outside of justice. Jesus, who in his humanity was alone and forsaken by the Father on the cross. Do you see where Jesus went? Where you were. He went out there to shed his blood so that Jews and Gentiles both might be reconciled to each other and to God. So that God might build them together into one new people, one temple. And so that the promise, this promise, is now for all who are in Christ, whatever your background, this promise is for you. They shall be my people. And I will be their God. And I will live among them forever. Let's give them thanks for that now. Lord Jesus We did not deserve you coming. We were outside and hostile to you and others, but you came. So we thank you for that. We thank you for giving yourself for us. Thank you for going outside where we were to get us and to bring us in where you are. Thank you that we are seated now in the heavenly places with you at the right hand of the Father. Jew and Gentile alike, male and female, every background seated with you because of what you've done and because of the faith that you've given us. I pray for anybody here who's struggling in a relationship where it feels stuck, locked, uh, irresolvable. I pray that you would help them, Lord, in Christ to find peace, to make peace, that your spirit would work so there'd be deeper and deeper peace among us here at Redeemer. And we ask it for your glory and your namesake. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Community Church in Fuquay, Verena, North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more sermons, we invite you to visit us online at RedeemerNC.org.